Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 527 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is what we call a year-ender. It's also a week-ender. It's the 111th, 111th, the 111 week-ender to end the year 2023 on. So we have a bunch of listeners in the chat, and we are going to actually open up the taps this time and allow the mics to, to run free. So this might turn into rapid chaos. We have no idea. But uh, before we get into all of that, into our weekender, and we are going to have a couple of uh, topics that can people can address if they want to. Otherwise, we'll just have some general discussion, uh, some maybe a look back at 2023, and maybe a little um, you know look forward into 2024. So let's go ahead and get on into it. But before we do that, we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Russ K5TUX. I'm Cheryl W5MOO, and I'm Bill NE4RD. All right, so with that, the introduction is done, so we can uh, not server mute the people we have server muted. So folks will be popping out and in, and of course, we'll uh, hopefully identify voices as we go along here. I don't know if we're going to go like a roll call, but um, uh, we could do that. I don't know. We'll decide. But anyway, we're going to throw out two random topics from the random topic wheel. One is HF on a budget. So if anybody has anything they want to say about doing HF on a budget, we can talk about that as a topic, a seed topic, if you will. And the other one is a hedonism topic, Star Trek versus Star Wars, if anybody wants to address that. So this could get interesting. Could be fights, could be fisticuffs, um, bloody noses, whatever. Uh, but we do have a lot of folks here. So Joel says he's not going to be speaking, just listening. That's fine. Absolutely fine. But we've already had people talking, so we know we'll hear other voices here. Um well, let's let's do a quick roll call here. Let's see if uh, people did we unmute everybody. Okay, yeah, I did. I took the server mutes off. Yeah. All right. So I'm not sure everyone has the ability to speak, but I know some people do. So let's go down the list here and uh, get a hello or a hi or a Heidi Hey from Alley Kitten. Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being here. Uh, next, we'll go to Gene BX8AAD, all the way from Taiwan who is unmuted, but we can't hear him. So maybe you want to check your mic device and we'll come back to you. Yeah, no worries. Uh, Joel said he's not going to speak, so that's fine. No problem, Joel. Uh, Tony, we know we can hear Tony, so let's uh, have Tony say hello, assuming he's paying attention. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Uh, yeah, been a, been a long year, interesting year, so looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, very good. Glad to have you here. Um, I think Mike was here. Casey he said his environment's too noisy. He can't, uh, can't speak. Too noisy. Well, we can hear you say hi once, even if it's like you're behind a jet engine. And then we won't ask you to say anything after that. <laughs> yep, that's fine. 
Uh, we also have uh, someone who just jumped in, Steve, KA7HVT. Don't know if you have a mic, Steve, but if you do, you feel free to say hello at this point or just randomly jump in at some point. It's okay. <laughs> uh, Russ, we did hear KC5CNT. Don't know if he's still there, but if you are, go ahead and say hello. Uh, Don says his headset is twitchy. Go ahead and give it a try, Don. What the heck? I mean, it's not like we're professionals right now. I have no idea if this is working. It is works. Hello. 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 Uh, Then we have Steve, KJ5T. I believe I heard his voice earlier. Good evening, everybody. This is Steve, KJ5T. Good evening. Currently in uh, the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. Um, Which part of it? That's a a big area. (laughs) Uh, In Brownsville currently, spending the holidays down here. Ah, okay. Way down south. So, all right. Very good. And then we have Darren, VK60K. We know we can hear him. Hey everyone from um, the lower southwest of Western Australia in the town of Boyupbrook. All right, fantastic! Thanks for being here, Darren. Love to hear your voice. And I don't know about Ted. Ted, Ted might be the bashful type, but Ted, are you? Uh, do you have a mic tonight? Can we hear you? Uh, he's typing, so I'm guessing no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ted's a strong, silent type. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so let's uh so we threw out a couple of topics so does anybody just want to open this whole thing up on any of those two topics i i know we had a chat uh phasers on stun okay so i'm gonna gonna give that a vote for star trek um steve also voted for star trek earlier he says no need to discuss known facts so so give us some insight steve about star trek and why it is the better thing why why does it rule over star wars i mean obviously it comes uh, I've tried to get into the Star Wars franchise, uh, you know, since I was a kid. But uh, to me, it's just too much, you know, true fantasy. Whereas Star Trek, while there's a lot of, you know, fantasy aspects of it, the reality is there is likely um, aliens on other planets, and uh, you know, in those other galaxies, and that uh, maybe one day we will have technology to be able to uh, to travel. It just it, it feels more scientific to me, in, in in some ways, even if it is still fantasy but it seems more in the hard sci-fi and less so from the fantasy maybe my perception of star wars is wrong but i just i never got into it no i'd say i'd say one is definitely closer to science fiction and the other one's closer to science fantasy but i mean i guess that means you're picking science fiction as the better of the two things <laughs> so yeah i have suspension of disbelief issues so i i, I tend to believe maybe that you know in it's some reality of of Star Trek could could be true someday. Whereas I, you know, I don't know. Star Wars just uh, like I said, fantasy. I have a hard time with just because of the suspension of disbelief issues. So, so can you not watch like movies that don't <laughs> partake of reality, or can you just not deal with that? Oh, it depends what it is. But yeah, like like fantasy, like uh, you know, Harry Potter and and those kind of things. Like not just not not can't get into it. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, oh, oh, John, are you here? Yes, I am here. Oh, well, oh. fantastic. <laughs> uh, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the, the voice of John Mad Dog Hall. Welcome. Thank you. Discord needs some help with their account uh, authorization. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Discord needs help with a lot of things. It just kind of simplifies our process a bit, so we're okay with using it. Um, but... It's not open source. It's uh, it, it has many problems other than account authentication. Trust me. Um, but it's a means to an end. Okay. In any case, I'm here. 
and we're glad to have you. Thanks for being here. So we're we're kind of discussing Star Trek versus Star Wars, which uh, you may or may not have something to say about. I don't know. And we're also I'm talking. Sorry. About- I'm I'm still back when Vim versus Emacs. Okay. <laughs> oh no 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 no! We're not going there. <laughs> We've Tab. had that. So, yeah, it's like tabs versus spaces. You know. <laughs> We've had that discussion before. Uh, Cheryl's laughing, but she's muted, so we can I can hear her laughing, but no one else can. So uh, because I just had two doggies come open my door for me. Oh, so. okay. As long as they're quiet, they're fine. So yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. So and the other thing we've been talking about is HF on a budget. Um, I know um, I've heard a lot of people recently talking about the Shigu or Diego or how the, however the hell it was pronounced. Right. Um, Q90s, G90s, whatever they are. Um, and I know a lot of people are picking up on those. And I guess that's a really good way to get into HF on a budget. So um, obviously I spent a little more money on HF than, than that. But um, anybody else has any thoughts on HF on a budget, feel free to jump in. Not a problem. And then we have the Star Trek versus Star Wars. And then, of course, we're just talking about Linux in the ham shack in 2023 and looking forward to 2024. So if anybody has anything to say, feel free to just jump in because this is, I mean, unlike what Bill said earlier, it's not really a directed net. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So just the initial part, you know, just got to the initial part, right. Just, just so we can get through the preamble, but yeah, got to get the business uh, done. Right. I have, um, we are going to, we are going to like devolve into hedonism at some point because we do have recipes. We do have, uh, alcohol to talk about. I don't know about whether Bill has any or not. Um, um why would I be talking about alcohol? I don't know. What I, I have no idea, but I've, I've departed to a, to a type of alcohol I have not discussed before on the show today. So that's going to be kind of interesting. Uh, at least I hope it's interesting. Um, and then we're actually going to have music too. Uh oh, watch out! <laughs> so I was like, I was looking at uh, talking about ham radio on a budget. I was looking at this uh, latest offering from uh, HF Signals, uh, the S X version three. I don't know if people have looked at this or not, but this is a uh, Raspberry Pi four based full radio uh, that you can get the board only. I guess the radio board side of things for 180 bucks. Or you can get the full radio with the Raspberry Pi for two gigabyte edition for three ninety nine uh, plus shipping, of course. And uh, yeah, it's actually quite uh, quite interesting. I've been uh, looking at the YouTube videos on it. Uh, its usage and stuff like that does a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything, including some built in FT eight um mode handling some uh built-in cw including decode as well as having a logger built into the box and stuff like that this sort of looks like a perfect little go radio kit that uh puts out i believe 25 watts so definitely uh definitely more than a little qrp rig um but for 399 that's a that's a pretty nice uh entry price to have a a full-blown uh hf rig with you know, general coverage being an SDR and then has a filtering for running uh, transmission on uh, 10 through uh, 10 through 80. So, uh, so does yeah. it have a local interface or is it all done uh, via has a screen? Yeah. Has a screen. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Including waterfall and everything else. It looks really sharp. It looks really sharp. So is it one of those like four inch ones that, that no, it's bigger than that. Oh, it's bigger than that. Okay, cool. Yeah. It looks to be, uh, you know, it's probably like a seven inch screen on it, maybe six inch screen. So you said S bit X, so yeah, S bit X, yeah, from the U bit X family, but the yes, S- yep, same right. same company, U bit X. I think they're up to version six now on that one, and this is uh, the S bit X version three. 
Oh, sounds good. Oh, and by the way, I'll also throw this out there. This is this can be like a Linux in the Hamshack AMA because you know you have all the hosts here. And if you have any feedback, we you know we always ask for feedback, but we, we rarely get it. Um, so if you have anything to say about the show, good, bad, or otherwise, feel free. I'd love to hear it myself. Um, I don't think we've looked at retooling anything about the show going into 2024 yet. I think the I think what we do and the way we do it seems to work pretty well if I would just get off my ass and actually publish episodes. Um, but beyond that, I, I think it's okay. But if anybody has any suggestions, comments, or, or whatever that would, you know, maybe enhance your listening experience, I would certainly love to hear it. Um, and let's see. We have people from all over the world because we have people from Taiwan, people from Australia, uh, John, who's from the moon. Um, yeah. So any, anything, let's see. Oh, what's, what is that a picture of Tony? Yeah, that's, that's a, I think that's the ver- the version prior of that, uh, that, that bit X radio. Oh, the earliest bit X. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Uh, maybe like a prototype or something. It looks kind of prototypey. <laughs> yeah. The new one looks quite, uh, well, a little bit more refined, but similar. They moved a lot of those standard controls there, the buttons on the bottom into the actual touch interface. Ah. Well, that's cool. So you said the radio and the computer were three ninety nine. All in, yeah, all in. Look, looks compelling for sure. And I mean, it's a pretty uh, known platform, so it's not like uh, well, the early days of Daigu or Shigu or whatever you want to call it, where those radios were. <laughs> yeah, they left a lot to be desired. I think they're much better now. Uh, they had a lot of early issues with the AGC and stuff like that on them. Yeah, yeah, there's, a, so, there's a link to the video. Since it's based on a on a Raspberry Pi, it obviously has USB interfaces built in too, so rig control would be a thing. Well, it's already so, yeah, it's already rig controlled inside. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would assume it's probably running rig control D that you can actually just attach to remotely if you needed to. And I think it has a you can run it with a phone interface. It actually provides a phone interface as well, so you can run your rig from the phone through Wi-Fi. Right. Yeah, cool. Oh, I also have another thing so, to throw. Uh, oh, go ahead. You know, another good platform if you want to delve into software defined is the Hermes Light 2, which you can get for about the same price, I think, but you will need a computer with that. Oh, the Hermes Light 2, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a super little SDR with a front end. What's the TX power on the Hermes? I think it's like 5 watts, so you're going to need to do something else. I, I'm running that into my Hard Rock 50. So again, you could build a, a pretty nice little SDR shaft if you want to assemble some. Mm. If you really uh. want to assemble some stuff, I picked up the uh, the four state QRPs T forty one EP, which is their SDR comes in a box with like a thousand parts and some circuit boards, and uh, it is a complete standalone SDR that they are building around the Kinky 4.1 plus, which is kind mm-hmm. of neat. So it's not Linux, but it is definitely open source. Because all the boards, they have all the boards on GitHub, and you can just go to your favorite PCB maker if you're so inclined and get the board. Yeah, look at all the buttons on that thing, too. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah they did that on purpose. They did that <laughs> on purpose because, you, you know, like, like a lot of us, they're older white guys and fat fingers, and touch screens tend to be a little finicky. The display is touch, and you could build into the software, which is freely available. You, you could build in a touch screen interface if you wanted to. That's more of a platform for experimentation. 
it definitely isn't a kit if it's the first time you built something. But uh, it probably is an ideal platform if you're, you know, uh, got some experience building kits, don't mind blinding toroids, want to learn about SDR from the ground up. Because they've got the, the book that goes with it, which is pretty good. And then, of course, QRP Labs, if you want to build, you know, a fairly inexpensive kit and get on the air, at least with FTA, you know, the QMX series is, is pretty cheap. It's a pretty straightforward build, a little finicky to assemble, but I, uh, I've made uh, a number of uh, POTA attempts with just that and the vertical. Oh, and sounds I, I got to throw in there Star Trek. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was, because it was my first love. Come on. It's been I watched the original when it came out. I'm that old. <laughs> yes. On black and white TV. Oh, very good. I I think I would err on the side of Star Trek too. I think I think the multi, the multiverses of uh, Star Trek are a little more cohesive, and I think that the early days of Star Trek are really or Star Wars rather were really good. But since uh, you know Lucas kind of lost creative control and Disney took over, things have gone kind of awry. But <laughs> um, so I'll throw in a vote for Star Trek as well. Uh, there's there's a bunch of Star Treks I still have to watch, like Discovery and DS9 and, and all that. But I hear they're all good. So um, The other thing I was going to throw out there as a topic, if, and I would love to hear some feedback before we wrap this up, is I need a cheap gaming computer of some kind. I don't care what kind it is, but I need leads on what to get. Um, <laughs> I don't care if it's a laptop, desktop, whatever. I don't really care what flavor it is. I'll, I'll make you it. You know what I've done? is I just watch Woot, and every once in a while, they'll kick out a Dell with, like, 16 gigs of memory, and uh, or sometimes 32 with, like, an NVIDIA card in. Well, okay. he, he does run Linux, so and, yeah, and he might not want like, that. <laughs> well, or, or it's, uh, the, the one I got sitting here is an AMD. It was yeah. an uh, AMD graphics card, and it's got uh, 32 gigs of memory. And I think I picked it up for like three ninety nine. So nice. I, I just watch. You know, they you, the, the problem with that site is it's either there or it's not, and you just got to keep looking. Right. Um, I don't. I don't recommend anyone doing this, and and don't do it if you're if you're squeamish about doing things like this. But I, um, we got to Kansas City over the weekend and discovered that I had left my laptop at the house. <laughs> so um, we wanted to do things that required a computer. So I quote unquote rented one from micro center, <laughs> i.e. I went there, bought one and returned it two days later. Um, and in the meantime, sort of got to, you know, check out the specs on it. It was $450 MSI laptop. It wasn't bad, but it had an NVIDIA 2050 in it, which seemed kind of sluggish. It's not that good. Mm. Um, but if I can get something, five hundred dollars is my cap, by the way. So I don't care if it's like a NUC or something like that, but I want it to be gaming capable. I'm tired of seventeen frames per second on Minecraft. I really want something decent. Um, so, like I said, uh, I will definitely look at Woot. Um, but if anyone has yeah. any, just that'd be great. Yeah, I bought a couple of these mostly to run OBS. Yeah, the NVNC. Uh, that's the way to go. Yeah. That's what I use. Yeah. I have a twenty sixty yeah, in my like laptop. Check out gigaparts. What am I checking out gigaparts for? Computers? Uh, you, know, you can speak, Tony. Yeah. 
<laughs> you don't, don't have to type. Yeah, you can actually talk if you want. Yeah, but that's too much like work when I like push one button and push another button. But yes, <laughs> parts has 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 pr- pretty good deals on brand new stuff and stuff that's j- just like um, corporate turn-ins that are a year old. Yeah, but corporate stuff doesn't tend to be gamer ready. Yeah, well, well, like. around here it is because there's a lot of video development stuff. Uh, okay, fair enough. I mean, and yeah, even if it's just a, a place to look. So, seventeen frames a second, you can replace that for two hundred bucks over at Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could just get like a you know a newer a newer Intel laptop with Intel whatever UHD graphics and stuff, and probably still be better off. Yeah, well, the thing is, anything I bought at this point would be better than what I have, but I want something that will actually do some decent video <laughs> yeah, because Bill knows I'm running on uh, Intel Intel standard graphics on a core two duo. So really it's not asking a lot to get better than that. I mean, cause I think that computer is like 13 years old. Um, but I'm trying to get the best bang for my buck. And I know other people have computers that are way newer than the ones I have. So that's why I'm, you know, yeah, I think the ones I bought last year were six ninety nine, So they're slightly out of your price range. But that was, um, they were HPs, I think. HP, yeah, HP Victus. They came with a Ryzen 7 uh, Radeon RX 6600 XT at 32 gigs of RAM. I have updated. Uh, they came with like 500, 500 gig SSD, which I've all updated all those. So. You said it was uh, six ninety nine. So you said it was. Yeah, six ninety nine. It was like a Costco Costco deal or something like that. Well, I mean, six ninety nine is not out of my price range, especially if it's something that's going to be good for you know ten years or something. I, I don't mind throwing a couple extra hundred bucks at it, but yeah, I just I mean, you I'm know, looking for quality for price. So at at some point, it won't be good for gaming, but you know, at least for the immediate term, it's better than the ten year old computer you're running on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And Gene would like us to relate a story. Uh, on Friday, he went to activate a soda summit. He charged his LifePo 4 battery, but had foolishly left the automotive fuse in the socket after charging. Battery was less than 10 volts when he got to the summit. Went ahead and sent CW at 2.5 watts, which was all the battery would give him. After calling CQ for about 10 minutes, he was surprised by hearing multiple responses. He must have finally made the reverse beacon network. Anyway, the first station he works was WB6POT in San Jose. First QRP contact in North America from Taiwan. 15 meters must have been really alive. I contacted one other U.S. station and seven Japan stations. Hey, really nice. And he used 15 meters, my favorite band. So... <laughs> Awesome, two and a half watts. So unless your unless your you know antenna had like some sort of foolish gain, um, which it probably didn't because it was a soda activation, that's pretty good. Which just game on your Mac Mini would probably be better. <laughs> well, I actually I'm considering buying another Mac Mini. They're five hundred ninety nine dollars. They're they're kind of right in the wheelhouse, and that's with a that's with an M three in it. Yeah, especially if you're only talking, you know. Wanting to play Minecraft or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a gamer. I don't. I don't play any of the crazy stuff. I don't. You know, I, I, it's literally for Minecraft. So obviously, I don't have to have anything incredible. But yeah. So right now, let's see. Uh, Costco has a uh, uh, an MSI laptop again, Cyborg Gaming Laptop, 13 Gen iCore Intel iCore whatever i7, and with a GTX RTX 4050 in it, which is actually pretty stellar. Six ninety nine. Six ninety nine ninety nine. Yeah, see, I think that was the problem I was having. I was just kind of, I was cheaping out on it a little bit, so I wasn't getting into the right spec. Because the, the MSI that I bought was an i5-13 something with 8 gigs of RAM and a 512 gig SSD, something like that. And the NVIDIA 2050, RT, uh, G, GeForce 
2050. Yeah. So I think this is still pretty, I mean, like there's, you should get a better deal on this. Like 699 seems expensive too, because it only has 16 gigs of memory, which I'm assuming probably not upgradable in the laptop. Uh, and only a 512 SSD, so that's kind of small too. But well, I remember, I said it was upgradable to 64. So, oh, okay, well, maybe. <laughs> Darren says, "Yeah, Minecraft is not addictive at all." No, no, not at all. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, any other AMAs uh, commenting on HF on a budget, Star Trek versus Star Wars, uh, where to find a cheap gaming PC, <laughs> um, the future. Or past of Linux in the ham shack. I don't know. I feel like 2023, except for a couple of little hiccups, went pretty well. I thought our topic coverage was really good. We didn't do a lot of repetitive things. I thought our news coverage was, you know, pretty good. Like, we we didn't do things that were old. We did cover a couple of topics that, you know, lots of people had already hit on. But, you know, sometimes that's unavoidable just because it's a big topic and you want to talk about it. Um you know, do people like the the stuff they're doing? Is the the weekender slash you know random topic wheel is that a thing that the people like? Um, you know, stuff like that. I'm just throwing stuff out there, so I'm hoping people will talk other than me. Well, I'll make a, a few comments. This is my first time on this uh, live show, though I've listened to uh, a few of them. I think I started listening to the show uh, back in uh, 21, I think, and so it's been a couple of years. But I also went back and listened to some of the the back uh, catalog of the show, so I've listened to a few of these into the year uh, uh shows uh but uh, you know just a couple of quick comments so yeah i think uh, i really like the new format the weekender and then the uh, uh short topics and then the the deep dive kind of rotation um i i really like that took out the kind of the calendar time-based stuff because uh i guess because a lot of times i do listen to the episodes um well after they've aired uh and so or or was released and so uh that was that was kind of a nice change uh i'm really a fan of the the weekender topics um and i definitely do like the uh the 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 short uh short topics episodes um you know this is probably these days the only time that i keep up with anything that's happening in open source since i haven't been to a linux uh to a linux fest in in probably you know at least five plus years so um this is this is where i typically do keep up with the open source stuff so really really like the format of the show and uh keep up the work that you guys are doing all right well thanks thank you i appreciate it um i kind of like the format too but that doesn't mean it's a good format (laughs) (laughs) um i I like the way we do it and and i think i think Spreading out the weekender in particular is really good because that means that there's still content going out. There's still at least three episodes per month that people can listen to, if, even if they're not into the sort of offbeat uh, topics. Um, we, I think we tried, uh, hopefully successfully, to keep it at least semi-relevant by making the first half of the show something that's a, an open source or an amateur radio topic. Generally, I mean, sometimes it's a hedonism topic, but... At least with the weekenders, if that's not your cup of tea, you can just skip it. And uh, I think that was the reason for doing that. And I think it's working out okay. And uh, from our one piece, from our one data point, it sounds like yes. (laughs) (laughs) Totally justified. We're awesome. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No other comments are needed. Thank you all. Uh, but yeah, if anybody has any other comments on that, good or bad, uh, certainly would love to hear them. Um, so if anybody else have anything to address on uh, all of the topics we've thrown out here, just to make it a big mishmash. <laughs> well, I just want to, well, go ahead. If you don't mind, I'd like to um, talk a little bit about Linux. Um, one of the things that I'm about to do is, so 
1995, we had the Greater New Hampshire Linux Users Group, like a lot of other people. It was uh, a local lug. We had met for you know meals and talk about Linux and stuff because it was new and everything. And we would typically, like a lot of other lugs, have beer and stuff. But then as things got a little bit more mainstream and people said, well, you know, life is busy and there were fewer and fewer people that came to it. But also part of the problem was that people who took over the running the meetings didn't really know how to run a meeting and they didn't put the time into it and stuff. And so the meetings got boring and people didn't come. So I'm about to restart it, to relaunch it, the Greater New Hampshire Linux Users Group, uh, which is in New Hampshire and southern and northern Massachusetts. And we're going to have a meeting once a month and we're going to have in each meeting, we're going to have a beginner's presentation and an advanced presentation. And the way I typically run this is once a year, I put out a, a request for people to give me feedback as to what they want to have talked about in each one of these segments. I kind of do a sort and unique on them and come up with a list of topics that most people want to have covered. And I send it back out and I say, well, who would be willing to talk about these topics? And even though some people that don't know much about networking, they say, well, I, I don't know much about networking, but I'm pretty good at shell scripting and so forth and so on. So the people give talks, you know, back and forth and um, it's free. Nobody, nobody has to pay money for it or anything like that. Um, and at the same time, so I'm going to, I'm, I'm launching that in January. I'm going to see how that goes. And I might be, if, if Andy Stewart is on this call, I might tap into him to see if he would be willing to, do a ham talk at it. Um, another thing about this is that because uh, COVID was so nice to us in the fact that it allowed us to get much better at doing virtual meetings, I, um, I can call in speakers who aren't necessarily in the area and have them do a virtual talk to people who are live in the room. So that's another thing that makes it a little bit nicer. I don't have to pay a lot of travel money to get in some really good speakers if they're willing to do that. So that's something I'm starting in January. And uh, and the other thing I'm doing is um, reinstigating Linux International, because at one time, Linux International was to, to convince people that Linux actually had a place in business and to help get the, th the types of things that people needed in business like systems administrators and, you know, understanding of the licensing and stuff. And all of that stuff has been more or less taken over by the Linux Foundation, and they're doing okay at that. But what I'm, I think is missing from the Linux Foundation is more Linux for the end user, Linux for the, the really beginner, the, 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 the person who really wants to use it in their day-to-day -day life. And to be a not not to replicate everything that a lot of other people are doing, but just to show people, point to what they're doing so that the people that are doing it still get the credit and visibility and stuff. But people could come to LI and say, okay, this is a place where I can find this out and to help with things that nobody else is doing. So um, we're starting that up in January also. We'll see how it goes. And that's about it, I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I Believe me, I was disappointed when the... Uh, I guess we can call it the era of the lug sort of went away. Uh, I, you know, I was in several, we started a few, um, and from 2000 to, well, I don't know, 2006 or seven, they went pretty strong and then interest flagged and other things took people's attention and it all just kind of went mm -hmm. away. 
So, um, and it got to the point where it wasn't even worth trying to start something up again because, I mean, we it was clear the interest was no longer there. And then yep. interest even in, in like, um, you know, Linux-based or, or computer-based uh, conferences was was even starting to, to decline at that point, even though I was still doing them. And after about 2015, 2016, some of those were starting to disappear and everything. And then, of course, COVID hit and then, and everything sort of went away. So uh, it's nice to see a little bit of a resurgence. I know you were trying to jump in there and say something. So Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, I've, I've been to a lot of conferences. I've looked at a lot of people that did different things. And you know, one of the, so let's let's take the Linux showcase, the the uh, Atlanta Linux showcase that was in early on, and that was started by a group of university students, the Atlanta Linux enthusiasts, right, who started it up, and they had a really great little conference in Atlanta, right down the city. That made it easy for business people to get to it on their lunchtime and stuff to go through and look at it and everything. And they wanted to grow it. So when they grew it, they moved it out of the center of the city to the suburbs, which much harder to get to. It was in a shopping mall. And as they grew it, it became more difficult, took more time and stuff like that. And so, and, and the other thing that happened was they didn't try and get new freshman students involved it was this it was the, the the same gang that was doing it then they became seniors at the university and then they went out and got a real life and real jobs and they turned the whole thing over to Usenix, and Usenix moved it from the east coast to oakland california that was terrible and they ch- started charging 350 dollars to attend a conference that had been free that was the second part and the third part was that they tried to do some of their tutorials at like $1,024 a piece. And the final thing that killed it was that their first Oakland meeting of ALS was actually on like November the 10th of 2001. And so, of course, on September the 11th of 2001, there was the, the, the World Trade Center was hit and nobody was flying that close and you put all that stuff together, they got within two weeks of the event, and they had zero people registered for it. They had all these speakers coming in. They had uh, they, they had actually bought airline tickets for them and stuff, but they there was nobody, nobody, zero, who had registered for the event. So I told them, I was on the board of directors for USNIX, I told them, make the event free, because even if we don't make any, even if we lose money, we're going to lose money anyway, make it free. And at least we'll get some people to come in from San Francisco or Oakland or universities and stuff in the area. And it won't be the embarrassment of having a speaker show up and have absolutely nobody in the, in the uh, audience. And so at the last moment, they made it free. They managed to attract 350 people and at least they weren't embarrassed by it. But it, you know, it, it takes time and energy to put on a conference. And if you try and make it too big, then, you know, it, it becomes too taxing for volunteers. And if you obviously, if you want to make it a commercial conference, well, then you have to charge money because these people have to be paid. So we need to have, I think, a, a methodology for doing conferences. And some of you may be familiar with the Ohio Linux Fest. I've been involved with that for over 20 years. And their first one that they had was at a university 
It was low, low cost for the, for the services and stuff like that. And they, they wanted to have it free of charge. Great. But the second one, what happened was they uh, had assigned somebody to talk to the university again. That person dropped the ball. It got within three weeks of the conference, and they had no place to hold it. So they called me, and they said, hey, we, we, we could hold it at this hotel, but it's going to cost $3,000, and we don't have the money. So I said, okay, here's my credit card. Put the $3,000 on that, and I'll come to your conference, and I'll show you how to make back that money without having to charge admittance. And so I went there, and I showed them how to pass the kitty, how to pass the hat, and take the money, you know, get the money back. And we recovered all but $200 of the 3000 So people, you know, they, a lot of people don't know how to set it up. They, they, they don't think about things like having a theme of the particular conference. Yes, it's Linux. But what about Linux? What about databases? What about, you know, security? You know, you have an overall theme, which allows you to check, allows you to bring in your speakers who are, you know, your keynote speakers who are oriented towards that. And you need to do that a year ahead of time because the good speakers are in demand. So, you know, all this stuff, and I and I tried to get some of the different um, conferences to work together and say, hey, some of you have been doing this a long time. Scale's been doing it. Scale is very good at doing this stuff. They're in their 21st year. And, you know, they're very good. But Let's share ideas and stuff. Let's put together a little guide of how to do a conference. And so people who want to do a conference find it a lot easier because here's a guide that shows them step-by-step how to do it. That's one of the things I want Linux International to do, to pull together this stuff so that we might be able to have a couple conferences spread around the United States and spread around the world to reverse the entropy that we're seeing. And the same thing could be said of, of ham conferences too, you know? Well, ham conferences, at least the bigger ones, they, they are doing pretty well. Attendance is, is way up over the last several years. And since COVID has gone away, the, you know, that little drop has, has sort of been fixed and, uh, you know, the hamcations and the, the Huntsville ham fest and Raleigh and, you know, um, I, I go up to Rochester. I love Rochester. Um, yeah near fest yeah yeah Yeah. um the guys from the m17 project we we we're sort of (laughs) discuss them a lot and they're always at near fest because uh the main developer and a couple of the other guys are are up in the uh in the seacoast new hampshire area so Mm -hmm. um yeah i would love to get up to near fest too i mean as you know or i I think you know that i'm from up there so Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we were actually trying to start a conference. So oh, I can't remember what the time frame was in the late two thousands in St. Louis. Cause we thought St. Louis would be a great place to have one centrally located in the country and, and so forth. But of course we didn't really know what we were doing. So <laughs> yeah, and we also spent several hours on the phone with John about that at one point. <laughs> yeah. So. I remember, I remember when you, you know, when you were trying to set that up, um, I, you know, at near fest. So, you know, in the early days of Linux, I uh, I heard about this Hamfest. I knew that Hams, you know, use free software and and stuff like that. So we took it. We went took a table up there and set up a PC. We had all these different distributions of Linux, and we said, "Hey, we'll burn the CD or a DVD for you for a dollar, you know, just to cover the costs and stuff like that." And we 
shared a lot of of Linux there because at that time there wasn't uh, you know there wasn't a lot of people with gigabit per second you know internet coming into their home. Uh, most of the people had dial up internet, and that was a, a long haul to download stuff. So they were happy to be able to get five or six different distributions for five or six bucks and take it home. Yeah, that's what we were we doing. Did that for a number yeah. of years. Yeah, we were when we started at Hamvention. That was our main focus: was uh, giving people the ability to get distributions. We brought distributions. We, I can't even tell you how many CDs and DVDs we burned over the years um, yep. to to give out to people. I mean, obviously, we've we've changed that. We still do exactly the same thing, but we do it via USB stick now. Um, yep. But the the process is the same, and you know, it's basically just to get the information out there. So, um, yeah, all good stuff, and uh, hopefully the uh, the lug will will take off. I'd like to hear more about it. Um, well, the, and- other, the other thing we're going to be doing with this is that we're going to be holding it at a community college that already has like three or four curriculum of computer science. They have computer science, they have computer engineering, they have information science and so forth. And I asked them, I said, do you teach courses with Linux? Oh, yes, we do. So to have a Linux club, kind of a club, they didn't want me to call it a club because they had some administrative crap that happened with a club up there. So they can't have a club until like 2024, but you know, this user group they're they're happy with. So to have the user group meet after school, you know, in one of the rooms will may attract some of the students from the community college, as well as a technical high school that's across the street. And that many of the people that we still have on our mailing list, the Gunalug mailing list, uh, we may be able to pull into, and even, you know, if I get even 10 or 15 people uh, coming every month, that's fine by me. It doesn't have to be a whole huge number of people. But what I would like is to get some of these people to bring in Windows users. And I would say to them, you're welcome to come to the meeting, but bring two Windows users with you. Let me talk to them. You know, <laughs> let me convince them. Users. <laughs> Absolutely. Because if you remember the old story about the person who invented the chessboard and the Chinese emperor loved chess so much, which maybe it was checkers, he said, you know, tell me what you want. And the guy says, oh, I want a grain of rice, one grain of rice in the first square and two in the second and four in the third and so forth and so on. And the emperor said, hey, yeah, go ahead, you know, granted. But there wasn't enough of rice in China to meet that demand. So if we bring in two windows users and then those windows users bring in two more windows users and stuff hey it's in two years we're going to have the entire planet using linux yeah well i can't even get to the three percent desktop use at this point or whatever it is they consider the the uh, age of the desktop of linux on the desktop but well Get it out there, though. But when you when you look at desktop desktop usage, there's two two numbers you have to look at. The first is what is the installed base, okay? And at this point, it is like three percent. But the number that really makes some difference is what is the current rate of sale in putting out desktops, okay? And because if you're trying to get into the installed base, I mean, there's over two billion desktops and laptops out there, maybe 3 billion by this point, you have to sell a heck of a lot of systems to go out there. But if the number of desktop and laptop systems that you're selling each year is, I'll I'll give you a number, 100,000, you might find out that 10% of those are Linux. And that's what the PC vendors and the application vendors 
are looking for. It's what the customers, it's what the companies who sell training are looking for. They're looking for the new sales, not the installed base. They don't care about the installed base. So, you know, I mean, in Apple, Apple, even in its heyday of selling desktop systems, was only about five or six percent of the market. And Microsoft was 90% and everything else made up to two to three percent. And Apple is still six percent of the desktop and laptop. Very profitable, very profitable. You know? So they make a lot of money and they make a lot of money in every way. But it's not that large a number in reality. And if you take a look at iOS, Android is just outselling iOS all over the all over the place. It's because the only way that people can make money is if you're Apple. You no. Know? The only people that make money with Apple is Apple. And the Samsung and the you know the LG and all these other companies that want to make want to sell phones, they can't put the iOS system on it. So they're going with Android. So now you have a whole bunch of people selling a whole range of phones with Android on it. And that is a big thing. If you take a look at kernels, kernel of the operating system, the Linux kernel is shipping on more computers than every other operating system put together. So yeah, I know. And you know, I can go and I can go on for hours about the whole thing about PCs, app, you know, desktops and stuff and how they're selling. And it's a tough nut to crack. Well we'll have to get ourselves a conference so you can come talk for hours about it. <laughs> I'd, I'd be happy to. Um, <laughs> well, if we ever get ambitious enough, maybe we'll talk about that, doing that again, because it sounds like there could potentially be a resurgence, and I'd be up for that. And speaking of that, KJ5T said that the Texas Linux Fest is going to be back next year down in Austin. Great, great. I'd love to come. So that's um, cool. And Austin's a great city, by the way. So, <clears throat> Oh, I love, I love Austin. You know, I was there in 2010. I actually had a hot sauce made for the Texas Linux Fest. A hot sauce made. It had a picture of Tux on it on a snowboard. It said Extreme Linux. It's hot and it's cool. And I had it made by the, the guy that was down on 6th uh, Street called Tears of Joy. He printed up the label for me, put it on the bottle. We filled it up with some generic hot sauce and, and handed it out there. And it was it was great. I've I've watched the bats coming out from underneath the bridge. Fantastic, you know <laughs> the music scene, the 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 food scene is really great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we should probably get down to the hedonism part of our show. And if anybody has anything they want to talk about at all, any of the topics we've we've discussed for the beginning of the show, just just pipe like in. Say, this is pretty free form. I'd like to say one more thing about Linux, and I'll shut up about it. Um, <laughs> you know. It, the computer industry is a weird industry. So I'm going to tell you something. It may blow your mind. It may not. But nobody ever buys a computer. And nobody ever buys software. What they're buying is a solution to a problem. You guys want to do ham radio. One of the things you use ham radio, you use computers for is ham radio. You care about the ham radio, not necessarily about the computer. Right? If you want to play a game, the problem you're trying to solve is how to play a game. And if you did that with two tin cans hooked together with a string, that's what you would get. So people buy a solution. And, you know, in the early days of Linux, all we were selling was Linux. Now we need to sell solutions made with Linux. And that is when you're going to start seeing it hit. Okay. So another thing I I, I tell people, I ask people, I said, 
When you go to a computer store, what are they actually selling? People go, oh, they're selling hard boxes of software. They're selling you know, hardware. They're selling. This is no. They're selling exactly the same thing as what you sell when you go to a food store. They're selling shelf space. And the faster that computer comes off of that shelf and they can replace it with another one, and then that one comes off the shelf and replace it with another one, that's all they care about. And so when 9 out of 10 people go into a, quote, PC store, 9 out of 10 people are looking for Windows, that's what they're going to, that's what they're going to have. And, you know, in, in the old days when Apple systems were sold by, quote, PC stores, well, the Apple parts were always in the back of the store. It made you walk all the way to the back of the store. It's like milk being in the supermarket. It's the back of the store. Why? Because they want you to walk past all those shelves and look at all the stuff they've got on them. And the Apple people would walk to hell to get their Apple system. They don't care. But a PC person, if they don't see what they want in the first three feet inside the store, well, they're going to walk out and go some other place. So everybody is selling shelf space. And then it, so there's only one thing you can do to help them, you know, get more stuff in the shelf space. And that is to make the amount of money that they're going to make on every sale go way higher. And these days with PCs and, and, and Windows, I mean, the amount of money you make in selling a PC is pretty small. That's why a lot of these little PC stores going out of business, right? They're they're being hit by the internet and they're being hit by the big box stores. The big box stores, all they do is they put a big box filled with stuff in the front of the store and say, here it, here it is, this price. If you ask them even one question about that, they're losing money. That's why you don't have any any knowledgeable people about computers in a big box store. Because those people cost more money, and these guys are going to, aren't going to pay it. So part of Linux International is a project called Project Kawan. And we're going to be showing high school and university students how to make money working part-time, selling open hardware, open software, and selling and supporting it. And all that money is going to go into their pocket. And I am going to create what every company wants to have, an unpaid commission-based sales force. And we're going to be selling open hardware and free software. And those kids are going to be able to make money so they can go to university. And that's also what's starting in January. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I'd be interested to see where it goes. So, And I'm sure yeah. we'll keep in touch. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I'm Dennis Spewing. It's up to you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sounds like a, a nice deep dive topic in, uh, let's say, February and get some feedback on the initial uh, initial drive. That sounds like a yeah. really interesting uh, thing. That'd be fine. That'd be fine. Yeah, we will definitely set that up. It sounds great. Uh, Steve KJ5T said something earlier. Oh, he said he was at the Texas Linux Fest in 20, 2010. He didn't remember the hot sauce. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I also want to make uh, one point of mention that uh, that the podcast itself is going into its 16th year, which I think is a great mm-hmm. milestone. We're just wrapping up the 15th year. Well, we did it back in October, yeah. right? Back in October, yep. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> 16 years, and we're still here, which is just uh, just amazing. So that's uh, uh it's great to have all you listeners and and uh, a lot of feedback and a lot of supporters out there and stuff like that. So um, I'm just uh, glad to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't even really think to talk about that. But yeah, we are definitely one of the longest running podcasts at this point, I would think. I mean, there are a lot of podcasts out there these days because they're very trendy. But back in 2008, when we started doing this, there were not a lot of podcasts and it was not very trendy. And uh, to still be here 16 years later, 
uh, I don't know. I, I consider that fairly impressive. So <laughs> it says, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm assuming that's about the 16 years. It could be about something else. He could have dropped the computer on his foot or something. But <laughs> <laughs> Quite possible. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw this, but last week, Doc Searles did his last Floss Weekly uh, podcast. And uh, he's kind of retired from open from promoting open source. He's going off and doing some other things, including radio, by the way. I, I don't think there's so much ham radio, but radio in general. So uh, you might want to get him to come on to your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. But he, I mean, he started off with the Linux Journal back in 1997. So yep. he's been doing open source a long time. Yeah, very good things to consider for sure all right so we're going to like i said all the topics are still open people need to recall that they actually have open mics and can speak when they so choose uh we'd love to hear that um cw did check in i don't know if you have a microphone uh cw but if you do feel free to say hi whenever you want to but at the risk of keeping this episode to under three and a half hours, we're going to kind of move on to the hedonism stuff. So if anybody has uh, a whiskey or a beer or a wine or uh, a seltzer, <laughs> who, um, <laughs> uh, feel free to like raise it, you know, tip it up, take a swig, whatever. Sweet Lucy. Oh, you know what? We haven't had Sweet Lucy in this house for a long time. A long time, yeah. I miss the Sweet Lucy. <laughs> so. uh, we have so much other alcohol. Well, we also have the... Um, we have the bourbon we, cream from... Uh, yeah, we bought the bourbon cream from uh, Buffalo Trice, so... Yep. Yeah, there's so a lot of... It's close. Uh, I, I do remember liking Sweet Lucy quite a lot. Just uh, haven't had it in, in <laughs> quite a while. Uh, probably what ten years now, maybe. Uh, we bought a bottle right after the first whiskey fest. Yeah, so that's probably almost ten years. So maybe longer. Maybe longer. Yeah, yeah. but so we do have an official the, we had a tour of the um, distillery last year with the Miata Club. I'm sorry, nice. I thought like half of that. <laughs> we got a tour of the distillery last year with the Miata Club. Oh, um, I, Sweet yeah. Lucy Pritchard's is open for tours. Seven, six days of the week. Oh, very good. I like the story tours. They're fun. I, it got to the point where we were doing quite a few of them, and at some point, it's basically just the same thing. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of like stainless steel and copper and uh, pipes. Um, but you know, to hear about what what people are doing is is pretty cool. Um, so we do have an official sort of thing that we do here on the weekender, and that's uh, Cheryl's recipe corner. So. We should probably uh, do Cheryl's recipe corner. Okay. Well, it's it's quick and easy. And this time I picked out the French toast casserole. Uh, it's great for holiday mornings because you put it together the night before, throw it in the oven the next morning when you don't have time to cook, um, and you have a nice breakfast when you're ready after opening presents or whatever. And for the casserole, you need brown sugar, unsalted butter, a loaf of bread. Crusty French bread is best. A little bit on the stale side, because you need it crusty, obviously. Uh, Milk, eggs, and vanilla extract. Uh, For the topping for this, you can use brown sugar, ground cinnamon, um, powdered sugar, maple syrup. For the casserole itself, if you want to to sweeten it up a bit, you can add fruit to it. You can add little chunks of cream cheese. It's it's pretty versatile. Um, You know, make it adult and add some bananas and some booze. 
So you just go with that, you know. Uh, rum, rum is always good in it. So that is my recipe. Um, the actual recipe itself will be in the show notes. And then for my mixed drink corner, I picked a pineapple whip mimosa. So this has got sugar for rimming your champagne flutes, pineapple wedges, pineapple juice, coconut milk, uh, champagne or Prosecco or your drink of choice, and some whipped topping. And again, um, this will all the, the directions will all be in the show notes, but that's a nice mimosa you can have with your banana coconut uh, rummy French toast. So there you go. All right, really good. Went to, went down the sweet route this time. So yeah, well, you know, breakfast casseroles on Christmas are always probably a help for people for things like baked bacon, so they can kind of ignore things in the kitchen for a while. So jeans, and of course, uh, Kirkland. Where it just jumped off. Where was it? Kirkland, Columbia Rose Coffee. Is that top? <laughs> they, have a, they have a Costco in Taiwan? Yeah. <laughs> nice. He does come to the U.S. occasionally. (laughs) Well, I mean, when I see the Kirkland brand, I just automatically assume it's Costco. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. Costco, three and a half hours away. (laughs) Taiwan's got everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been seeing some of Gene's uh, soda, you know, trips and stuff. And he, he definitely likes to hike a lot. So... Ted says he remembers someone there saying they like cornbread. Uh, he was talking to you, Cheryl. He go, oh, he's going to yeah. do a recipe. So I'm I'm curious about this recipe because if you could, if you have a cornbread recipe that can beat Cheryl's cornbread recipe, I want to taste it. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we have my- from the last time you made cornbread still in the freezer because that cornbread is just too damn good. Yeah, you won't let me throw it away. You're just like, no, 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 I'm going to put it in the freezer. And I've well, seen you eat that for breakfast. Yeah, and I'm going to be doing that again pretty soon because I just saw it in the freezer today. So. Gotcha. So, yeah, my that, the, the thing with that cornbread is a Mexican cornbread, and it is very sweet, but it is very good. So... Sorry, I have yeah. to make a call sign I have not seen before. Ken, VA7WY is in the chat so excellent welcome ken he says alcohol contribution from canada rhubarb mead that's interesting, interesting. We do like mead around there i have not had rhubarb mead but that's an interesting segue because you're talking about canadian alcohol and for the first time on this show i'm going to be talking about canadian alcohol so <laughs> um, shock shock yes I'm sure I've mentioned like Canadian something or other passing once upon a time, but let's see. Let me, uh, Costco has larceny. It's a deal. Yeah, everybody has larceny. <laughs> uh, Ken, you might have just extended my Fourth of July vacation from Allegan. <laughs> uh, Gene says we Christian missionaries are not supposed to be hedonistic, but I do enjoy San Miguel's Red Horse beer. Excellent. And KJ5T says his beverage for tonight was a Mexican Coke. I had a Mexican Coke two days ago. So, or was that yesterday? I guess it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Yep. I like Mexican Coke. It's very good. All right. So what am I talking about on my whiskey corner tonight? Or I guess drink corner since it's been other things than whiskey over the years. I'm talking about Canadian Club. And this is something that um, 
I've heard other people talk about whiskeys from other places or places that you're familiar with, but in the United States, you know, when you're talking about Canadian whiskey, all you really hear about or hear talked about is the the standard stuff, like your Canadian club, your Canadian mist, your, you know, just, just whatever's on the, the bottom shelf for your basic, you know, whiskey. Well, I picked up a Canadian club 12 year. <laughs> I have to admit, until recently, I didn't know that Canadian whiskey had age statements. Um, so this was kind of interesting. It was a 12 year old Canadian whiskey on the shelf for $18.99. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it. And uh, so I did, and I've been drinking it. And the description, according to Canadian Club, is if you're looking for more complexity and a bit more personality, Canadian Club Classic 12 year old is for you. With a more robust barley profile, it's a nice step up from 1858, which, by the way, is the standard expression of, of Canadian Club, uh, or Reserve, which I have not had. This award-winning blended spirit is aged for 12 years in seasoned char-treated oak bourbon barrels. Canadian Club is, I added this, Canadian Club is a Beam Suntory brand. So it's owned by a huge whiskey conglomerate. So uh, one thing that was interesting about this is, in the mash bill, they don't disclose proportions, but they do disclose what's in it. And there's something that's in this that I have not had in another whiskey, I don't believe. There's corn, there's rye, there's malted rye, which I've not heard before that I can recall, and malted barley. Uh, like a lot of Canadian whiskeys, especially bottom shelf or, or just whiskeys in general that are bottom shelf, uh, it's, it's bottled at uh, 40% or 80 proof. Uh, it comes out of Windsor, Ontario. Uh, they list the color as autumn gold. Um, and as I said, you can buy a bottle of this for a fifth, anyway, for about 20 bucks. Um, I think in other retailers, it's a little higher. Um, but I was at a Total Wine, and they had it you know, on the shelf for eighteen ninety nine, so it wasn't too bad. And I was like, okay, well, I have not really partaken of Canadian whiskey before, uh, other than the, the usual stuff. So I'm going to give this a try. And honestly, it kind of surprised me. Um, the nose here, um, this is a note from a couple of other people. Um, I'm finding a little more butterscotch on the nose and on the taste than other people did. So I'm going to put that in here. Uh, one of the, one of the taste profiles did say, um, toffee. So I'm just going to leave that in place of butterscotch because they're similar. But the nose is a soft, creamy, fruity, and firm nose with caramel, brown sugar, crisp saltiness, and butterscotch. Um, none of these flavors are particularly pronounced. They're all there. You can you can detect them, but because it's bottled only at forty percent, they're not. They don't really pop like in some other whiskeys. On the taste, uh, there are notes of creamy vanilla, rich wood, honey, toffee, and rye spice. Absolutely, the rye spice is really muted, but it's in there because there's actually a fairly high rye content in in Canadian Club. Uh, and the finish is, it says long and dry with an enduring presence of butterscotch, which I don't find it particularly dry, but then again, unless the alcohol is higher, I don't, I don't sort of get that dryness, uh, or the really woodiness. Um, this is all pretty soft. Um, the, the nose and everything are really good. It's really light. It's sort of an effortless drink. Uh, it doesn't really hit you over the face, but the, but the flavors are good. And it's way better than just picking Canadian Club White Label off the shelf. Um, and they suggested using it as a mixer with ginger. So I had ginger ale, Angostura bitters, and this um, in a rocks glass with uh, a big ice cube. And that was really good, too. 
So I'm kind of impressed actually with this Canadian club 12 year. And for the price, um, if you can find it, I definitely wouldn't balk at it. It's not, it's not like going to blow your hair back or anything like that, but, uh, price wise, it's kind of hard to beat. I'm going to give it an 85, um, for what it is. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, to me, a different animal than the Canadian club. You're probably familiar with that. Everybody just uses as a straight up mixer. Uh, the barrel aging really does something to it, and I'm enjoying it. And for the price point, it's really hard to go wrong. So I'm glad I got this, and it's definitely probably going to stay on the shelf. So there you go, Canadian Club Classic 12-year. So what do you got, Bill? Well, I uh, I went to a party earlier, and uh, I, was, I was just seeing the uniqueness of this, is that uh, I also enjoyed a couple of 12-year-old uh, drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to have a bottle of uh, the Glenlivet 12 at uh, at the party, and I was like, you know, I really don't feel like wine, so I had a little bit of that, and uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. So uh, I came home and uh, I poured myself a little Highland Park 12. So uh, we're doing three 12s here. This is uh, this is great. And <laughs> they're both really good. I, I'm I don't know if I uh, I like the Highland Park a little bit better. It's a little bit smokier if I have to uh, give some difference between the two. But I, I did like I did like the Glen Levitt too. That was really good. Ken says as a Canadian, he's never liked Canadian Club. As an American, <laughs> I also do not like Canadian Club. <laughs> um, but I got to tell you, this Canadian Club Twelve, um, it's worth checking out. I don't know if it's something. I don't know how much you experiment with whiskey there in Canada, and I don't know how much American influence there is in in what's available product wise. You know, north of the border. Um, but I, I have to say, I was surprised with the Canadian Club 12. It's it's better than I definitely thought it would be. So, very good. And meters. Yeah, we, we don't have a lot of meters. We do have one here in Springfield. It's not, it's called uh, Seven Seas. Um, and there's another meadery that's up north of Kansas City called Pertle, um, where we do pick up mead and some flavored mead. But... Ginger mead and rhubarb mead are not two that they make. So they, they tend more towards the fruits, fruits to go with the honey. But I do like mead. So, oh, Cheryl, do you have anything? Uh, I see you're back. So anything uh, whiskey related? Oh, we also would highly recommend bamboo rum. If you yes. want to uh, get some rum, try something different. It's a rum that's made in Barbados. And it is excellent it's also cheap a fifth of bamboo is like 23 dollars um obviously that's more than your sailor jury but honestly sailor jury is just terrible don't drink it and um spend a couple extra dollars and get yourself some bamboo because it's it's awesome i mean you can drink it straight it's it's fantastic for that it makes killer cocktails um so you know we highly recommend bamboo yes definitely so all right. Well, you know what? Um, there's a, there's some chatter in the uh, the chat room, but we're gonna go ahead and um, sort of wind down this episode. If anybody has any further comments or would like to say anything, uh, we'll let you have that. We'll, let's run down the list here real quick and see if anybody wants to have a couple of parting words uh, before we roll onto a little bit of light holiday music before we wrap up the episode. So let's start back at the top of the list and uh, see if we have any uh, sign-off from Ali Kitten. I'm a little concerned about you what, what about what your selection of light holiday music is going to be. <laughs> but um, 
Like, I'm on my second, possibly third glass of Sweet Lucy and stuff, so I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Great to have you here. Thanks for being part of the show. Congratulations, by the way, on the ticket. Uh, one day straight up to extra. So well done there. And I uh, hope you enjoy the hobby. Cheryl's mic's picking up, so. Sorry. <laughs> uh, thank you. That's okay. CW wasn't here for the beginning, and I don't know that he's hooked up for audio, so uh, we'll just say, hello, CW. Glad to have you here. He just picked up his ticket as well. He's KF0OLO, uh, so excellent, and uh, congratulations to you as well, and hope you have happy holidays. And we'll move down to Gene, BX8AAD, over in Taiwan. Anything to wrap Merry up? Christmas. I heard Merry hey, Christmas to all, even though I was talking over you. Shangdan Kwai Le. Thank you so much for the show. Oh, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I hope you have a great day and a great holidays over in Taiwan. Uh, Joel is here. Joel Brower, KC0YEW, who is not chatting tonight. Then we're down to Tony, K4XSS. Well, we know he has a microphone. Yes, yes, I do. And I and I use it sometimes. But, but uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a good, uh, good show. A little... Mm, I don't say more interesting than, than than a year or two past. Just I don't know, more informative and on some things that kind of wasn't expecting. But no, it's it's, it's been good. So be happy, happy holidays and uh, Christmas, New Year's, all that to everybody. And talk to y'all next year, unless we hit, hit hit the radio here and there. Maybe I'll start. Maybe HF. Who knows? All right, fantastic. Thanks, Tony. Have a good holiday season, and we'll catch you in twenty twenty four. That brings us down to Mike K six GTE programmer extraordinaire. Anything to wrap up the show for us, Mike? <laughs> He left. That's what he thought of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was uh, <laughs> that was Gene that left, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Mike. Mike was in a loud environment, so he might. Uh, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, quite active. So, thanks, Mike, for being here. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great holiday, and we'll catch you in 2024. We know Don's working there. So, uh, anything to wrap up the show with us, Don? Mm, no, just happy holidays and good work and. Uh, I'll get back my nub treats. Oh, fantastic. You'll have to come uh, hang out since uh, and have a cigar <laughs> with us again. <laughs> you, you did once or twice, I think, in the past. But has, so happy holidays. Take care, everyone. Yeah. And take care. We'll catch you in 2024. Steve, KJ5T, you're up. Yeah, I'll just say uh, great show as always and happy holidays to everybody. And looking forward to uh, 2024 and the content then uh, there and uh, also uh, hopefully we'll see you all at uh, hamvention absolutely merry christmas happy holidays uh mike says contribute to oss that's a demand by the way so yes <laughs> in order <laughs> <laughs> very good and ted does not have uh, the ability to chitty chatty but he says happy holidays all so merry christmas to you ted and we'll catch you in 2024 as well okay this is a song we heard last night, or Friday night, when we were out looking around at Christmas lights. There were some animated displays that have uh, stuff on radio frequency, uh, so that's timed with the music and all that. And we had never heard this before. Um, I did some research. It's from another song that was originally produced um, by a YouTube personality in 2012. But in 2020, they released a Christmas version. We'd never heard it before. It cracked me up. I thought it was hilarious. And so we're just going to play it tonight. Um, and then I'll tell you what it is afterwards. And uh, then we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. But um, this was a fun song. So we'll be back at the end of this to uh, say happy holidays to everybody and wrap up the show. It's 
tacos on christmas eve uh it was just so much fun when we heard it the other night but uh, <laughs> thought we should bring it to everybody it's done by a guy named perry grip uh again the original version which was not about christmas eve back in 2012 but uh 2020 new version for the holidays and they had um there's a street in uh, it's like a cul-de-sac street of about 10 houses probably uh in kansas well it's uh it's technically in um Olathe, kansas just outside of kansas city there's an entire there's a i'm sure you've all seen the music synchronized uh christmas displays on various houses and stuff but this is one that's done for all 10 houses it's the entire street that's all synchronized to music it's incredible to watch and this was one of the songs they were doing so <laughs> it was just so cool Ken says, after listening for three years, it's good to catch a live finally. 7-3 and Merry Christmas. Thanks for Linux and the Hamtrack. Well, we appreciate you being a listener. Absolutely. Thanks for being here and thanks everybody for being here. Hope you have a great holiday season, a Merry Christmas or whatever it is you celebrate. We hope you have a fantastic holiday. Um, we are taking a break. Our next recording will be on January 7th, 2024. We will catch you all then. Certainly hope you uh, have a great few weeks while we uh, all spend time with family, friends, and do all the things that we normally do at the end of the year. We do have some new subscribers, supporters, live participants that we should mention before we wrap up the year, and uh, Cheryl's going to tell you who those folks are. Yes, this time we don't have any new subscribers or patrons, but on Facebook we do have C.W. Tillman, Derek May, Daniel Hernandez, and Cody Lay. We didn't have anybody on Twitter, but on Instagram we had Jonathan period Radabaugh. On Mastodon, we had P-A-0-E-T-E. Nobody joined the mailing list. On Discord, we had C-W and Dr. underscore Volt underscore Iceland. And on the live chat tonight, we had Alley Kitten, KZ4CN, Gene, B-X-8-A-A-D, Joel, K-C-0-Y-E-W, Tony, K-4-X-S-S, Mike, K-6-G-T-E, Russ, K-C-5-C-N-T, Steve, KJ5T, Darren, VK6EK, Ted, WA0EIR, Ken, VA7WY, 
Don, KC9ZMY. We had John Mad Dog Hall. And we had CW, KF0OLO. All right. Fantastic. Happy holidays from all of us to all of you. Hope it's a great time. We'll catch you all again January 7th, 2024. This has been episode number 527 of Linux in the Hamshack, the 111th edition of The Weekender, and our year-end wrap-up show for 2023. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonisms.